Welcome to Bark's podcast, featuring news, interviews and information from the pet industry. We bring you news about latest events and seminars, as well as interviews from some of the best in force-free and behavioral science-based training. We aim to create a fun, educational and informative podcast that is PPG member focused. So come along and join us, bring your questions, expertise and a dash of humor. Good afternoon and welcome to September's PPG Advocacy Panel. We're glad to have you join us today. I'm Don Hansen. I will be your moderator today and I am the chair of the Advocacy Division. And I'd like to ask each of our uh, panelists today, Aaron, Sam and Monique to quickly introduce themselves and then we will get to our topic. So take it away, Aaron. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Aaron Jones. I'm a certified dog trader located just outside of Houston, Texas, and I serve on the Inclusivity Division and the Shelter and Rescue Division. Sam. Hi, my name is Sam Wake. I have a company called The Inner Dog, working primarily with dogs who have moderate to severe behavioral challenges, and I'm up here on the shore in New Jersey. And Monique, your turn. Hi, I'm Monique Williams. Um, I am just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a certified dog trainer and um, I am on the equine committee. Excellent. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Listeners, thank you for you joining as well. Today's topic is dog safety. Should it be taught in schools? Is there a public safety concern? And before we jump into it, I did a little uh, research this morning and uh, looking at a, a paper that was published by the National Canine Research Council and Animals and Society Institute, I wanted to pull some data out here that we can look at. And I know when we talk about dog bites, sometimes the sources where we're getting the information can be as controversial as the information itself. I believe this is one of the better sources, but if anyone has anything different, but um, this document they have said that dog, bited, dog bite related fatalities are extremely rare. They account for about one in 92,000 or one one thousandth of 1% of the deaths in the United States annually. Non-fatal injuries are also relatively uncommon as only one-tenth of 1% of dog bites end up in emergency room visits. And this is a rather long document they've put together. It's been updated once. They make two recommendations, one talking about regulatory penalties for people who keep dogs and things like that. But their second recommendation of the two they made uh, was really relates to what we're talking about today. And it says information should be widely disseminated especially to children and their parents about safe ways to interact with dogs. And education for responsible dog guardians should include instruction on sound husbandry to guide the range of decisions that each guardian makes regarding how to live with and care for a canine companion. And then they go on to note that, and I, they didn't cite the source of this data, 67% of injurious dog bites to children have been shown to be preventable by changing the child's or the caregiver's behavior in interacting with the dog. And as simple an intervention as a single 30 minute lesson incorporated into a regular school day 
taught by a dog handler has been shown to dramatically reduce high-risk behaviors toward unfamiliar dogs in both very young kindergarten age and middle school children. So that's kind of what we're talking about today. So the first question I'd like each of us to kind of talk about is, first of all, do you believe that dog bite safety is a significant public health concern? And, and it's significant enough that it suggests it should be included in public schools. And I'll let who wants to jump in first, jump right in. Well, I did a little research too, Don, and um, what I found interesting about the whole thing is, yes, I do believe that it is significant enough um, that it should be something that's addressed in schools. But to me, I think it's more about adult behavior and the adult um, supervision, the adult ideas about what what dogs are and, and what they're like, you know, it's kind of the Disney dog syndrome. So I think addressing it in schools is a great idea, but I don't know that we're gonna get as much traction doing that as we would with talking to and educating the adults in the room. You know, we can't, it feels to me like asking you know, putting the lessons in school is great, but ultimately we can't put their safety, the children's safety in their own hands when it comes to these dogs. So I think the school system is, is a great place to add education, but I think it needs to be somehow addressed to the adults. So maybe it's not just education that is, is focused on the kids in classrooms. Maybe it's something that uh, goes through like parent-teacher associations or something similar to that. Um, or, you know, it, it can be communicated to the adults in other ways. So for example, through pediatricians or veterinarians, you know, those are, those are providers that, um, they hold sway with the parents. They're considered to be experts and, um, they, they, they can easily address it. Now they would need help from us because of how many of them, you know, especially veterinarians don't know behavior and clearly the, the pediatricians don't, but this is very much a, a children's health and safety issue. And, and to me, some of that information should probably be coming from those offices as well. Okay. Aaron, what do you think? I absolutely agree with Monique. Um, you know, it, it begins with the handler, the person that, that's got the dog, um, you know, with control and responsibility. Um, and there's this funny that you were mentioning about the fatalities being very rare, because actually here in Houston, we just had two uh, dog mauling fatalities, one July 19th and another one on August 22nd. Um, uh, both victims were mauled by loose dogs. Um, so I, I think, you know, Education is absolutely very important with kids, but like Monique said, it does go, it needs to go beyond that. Um, and it, it starts with the handler and it, it starts with the, the person, the adult that's in charge of that dog. Thoughts, Sam? I, I agree. I mean, Aaron and Monique, have, I've hit it on the head. I think the biggest problem is trying to come up with a way to provide the education, not so much to the kids because there's some great programs out there, but to the adults so that they'll actually pay attention or listen to it. Uh, I, I know it's interesting that with some of my clients, and again, because of, of the types of dogs that I work with, I've actually found that the children uh, actually listen more and 
uh, get more involved in the work that we're doing and understand the concepts when we're trying to work with these dogs with these, these behavioral challenges. And the parents are the ones who are in a hurry, um, want things to get better quickly, whatever. And it's been fun to watch children educating their parents. So I think that there are certain things that can be uh, sent home with the children or the children can learn in school uh, where they can kind of figure out a way on their own to integrate it with the parents. Ultimately though, yes, it is the parents. And the other problem too is who's actually gonna teach this? You know, because if we have the wrong person, the wrong ideas, the wrong methodology or philosophy behind it, teaching it, uh, we're gonna make things worse. So I'm going to share a little bit of my experience before we go on. So I've been part of the Dog Unsafe program for a number of years and really, really good program. There's good stuff there for kids. And what I learned after doing the first couple is when we were doing them at my facility, um, parents were required to come. I made it clear this was an educational opportunity for them and their children because I had some people trying to use it as a, oh, we're going to drop off the kid here and we're going to go do shopping or, you know, go have a few drinks down at the bar or whatever. And I made it clear it wasn't for that. And um, did some things with, with school groups. The ones with, that I did with Girl Scout and Boy Scout troops worked pretty well. But one of the most disappointing ones I had, and I had to drive 90 minutes to get to this school. So it kind of did tick me off a little bit. Um, they had me come in at the end of the day, and there were about um, 100 kids there from kindergarten to sixth grade, and two teachers who were supposed to be supervising. This was a place where the kids waited for an hour before their bus came, and it was utter chaos, and those two yeah. teachers had no, yeah. inter no interest in supervising and doing crowd control, and... Um, that pretty much changed my approach to doing those too. So I think we have to have responsible adults involved as well. Um, you know, and another great resource is, is, is Nikki's book. Um, I allow my training students to buy that at cost because I think it's so important, but I also stress with them that this is not a book you give to your kids. This is a book you sit down with your your kids and you go through it with them. This is meant for you to guide them through the process. And um, that's been somewhat effective, but um, I think, yeah. So the, the big question is how do we get the, um, the adults involved? I wanna throw in another, go off a little bit of a segue here. I think these statistics that they, they talked about, we're looking at um, relevance to human public safety. And I don't know if there's any good statistics on this or not, but I think the other thing we have to look at is how many dogs are needlessly euthanized or have their lives significantly harmed by people not knowing dog bite safety. Any thoughts on that? Well, and Don, I was actually going to bring up something about that when we were talking about, you know, with kids, with, you know, with, with, in schools, it's, you know, really important at home. Um, I did look up some of the statistics there that, you know, that were going on, you know, severe injuries from dog bites is the highest with children's between the ages of five to nine. Three quarters of dogs involved in dog bite incidents are from the actual victim's family or a friend. 
the majority of dog attacks, which was 61%, happens at home or in a familiar place. So, you know, even, you know, the, the importance of starting at home, I think, think is where, you know, we need to, we need to look at focusing on more. No, I, I would agree with that because I've, I've heard those same statistics you, you cited before, and I think they're fairly, uh, fairly reliable. And I think there's one in there somewhere too that suggests those bites to kids are most often to the face, which... Correct. Uh, the face, lips, nose, and cheeks of children under 10 years old are the most frequent target to dog bites, 77% of injuries. I think we're always going to have a problem too. I, I looked up a statistic that came from the AKC from I think 2020, and they estimated that five to 8% of dogs receive professional training. So if we're talking about the number of dogs who, who may be euthanized or deeply impacted um, because of lack of knowledge, you know, I mean, that that's definitely a part of it. So some of it is Definitely, um, again, getting ourselves out there a little bit more um, so that more, more dogs receive training and so that more of us um, can interact with dogs and, and, and see what, what's going on in a household. You know? I've seen a similar statistic that suggests only 5% of dogs in the US yeah. ever receive any type of training. And that's huge because that means oh. that these dogs aren't getting assessed in any way. And, you know, I, I'm curious about what percentage of dog bites go unreported. Yes. You know, that's, that's something that I I'm sure is a, a crazy number because people don't want to risk having their dogs put to sleep, you know, um, you know, obviously they're not going to ignore a ser serious or a severe injury to their child, but, you know, those nips here and there, you know, they're not going to, they're probably not going to say anything about all of that. And, you know, the parents probably have no clue how to, how to work it. I'm sure that they don't know who they need to call to find out. Um, I'm sure that some of them do talk to their pediatricians or they do talk to, um, maybe the veterinarian, and they don't always get great advice, you know, so I do think the key is, is finding the places where the adults are and reaching out and pro providing that dog bite education through those places, so. Yeah, and, and like Don was saying, you know, the suffering, you know, with, with the lack of education and responsibility of the adult in the long run, I mean, you know, you have pain, you know, with the bite, but in the long run, the dog is the one that's suffering because the dog is being put to sleep because of lack of responsibility. You know, it's interesting when you said about adults, I was just thinking, Monique, that was a good point. So a lot of, um, there's a number of businesses and there's a lot of high profile businesses that allow people to take their dogs to work. And that would be a great place to those kind of businesses to reach out to, to have basically a lunch and learn uh, for their employees where the information could be given. These are adults, obviously, um, talking about their dogs, whatever, and provide them with uh, written information as well, simple handouts or, or whatever. And maybe that's how we start to get towards the adults. That's a really good thought because there are more and more places that are doing that. And, um, 
it kind of surprises me that there, someone in their HR department hasn't sat back and said, oh, what's the potential liability here? Because um, they're usually sensitive to things like that. But um, no, that's a good idea. Especially since you see groups, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever people think about businesses or whatever specific ones, but you see, you know, it's been a big thing with Google, um, with some of the Facebook locations. Um, I know Home Depot, uh, I have a family member who works down in their corporate offices and they do a lot of stuff in-house as far as the people and their animals they actually even have a Facebook page for, uh, for their employees all over the world to post pictures of the animals that, you know, visit their Home Depot stores. So th these are the kind of places that I wonder if we can't find a way to get a, a toehold in to begin to start passing that message along. No, I think um, that's a really uh, good thought. Monique, Aaron, you guys have anything to add on that? And before you do that, Pam, another statistic you can put up on Resource for Statistics, uh, you can put up on the live stream is that uh, email I sent you earlier this afternoon has a link for that report from the National Canine Research Council. So if you want to put that up there, that's available as a PDF file. And here's something from a uh, Facebook chat. Um, we have a local mom and baby group that invite me to talk about dog and child safety every year. That's a neat idea. I like the idea of the mom and baby groups. I love the idea of possibly incorporating some of that into um, some of the classes and stuff that are available for expectant parents. I think that would be a really good yeah, yeah. Um, the homeschool groups. I love the homeschool groups because they have active and involved parents. I think they're a really good um, a potential source of, uh, you know, disseminating information. So there are quite a few good avenues that we could try to get a toehold with. Well, and the expectant parents are one, too, that... Um... Those are people that should be coming to us possibly before oh, yeah. anybody's expectant. I mean, it, I have had two two situations in my life, which I swore after the first one, I said, this can never happen again. I just couldn't believe it. Where I had mom come in a week after delivering uh, with an eight week old puppy that dog, that dad thought they had to have. Um, so they would grow up together. And, um, you know, we helped them through it every way we could, but again, had the exact same thing a couple years later happen. And it's like, what were you thinking, people? <laughs> and one of the other ideas that I was always been pondering is, you know, getting in contact and teaming up with local emergency services, fire departments, uh, EMS to do awareness with things like that, um, how they always hold, you know, all the other awarenesses you've got your 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 smoke detectors and everything else you know your dog bite prevention with your local emer local emergency services would probably be a good source of idea too Aaron, we thought the national night out exactly that that would right. be what a, a what a, awesome. man that's a huge thing yeah that would be really really good i think the, the all the ideas that that we've bounced around here have been really really good um mm. I think it would be absolutely awesome if maybe PPG did something with some of that and tried to 
spearhead some of that. What what specifically? Let's kind of what do we think we need to teach these adults and children together? What are the things that they don't know that they really need to know? And I don't remember. Someone said something, and I don't remember exactly what they said. But I'll let, this is what I took out of it because this is what I see a lot of time is there is a segment of the adult population that thinks any adult, any child should be able to do anything with any dog and the dog should just take it. Am I out of bounds there or is that something you guys see and hear frequently? Yeah. Um, I think that we've been, there, there's a cultural myth, not a culture, there's a societal myth that every dog should be perfect. And we impose that, that structure or those boundaries only on dogs. We would never think of applying it to ourselves or to children or whatever, or actually to any other animal. But for some reason, I mean, I think about when I was growing up, um, there were a lot of people in our neighborhood who had dogs who never understood that a dog is still a dog. You know, but at the same time, it was interesting because again, we didn't know as much back then, but I can still remember my own parents. Listen, the dog is sleeping, you let it alone. You know, such as sleeping, you know, let sleeping dogs lie. And if the dog is eating, don't interrupt it because how do you feel when you get interrupted by your sister when you're eating? You know, stuff like that. Um, I think if, if what we try to teach is simple, simple, take, you know, whatever, the 10, the 10 biggest body language things or the, the you know, the 10 simplest ideas, uh, especially in this day and age where after, you know, 30 seconds, everybody's distracted anyway. Uh, is is going to be the easiest way to start at least to get something across. Yeah, and I was just about to say that, Sam. Body language is huge oh, yeah. on, on something like that. And touching back on what you're talking about with dogs, you know, being perfect, I can't remember where I saw it, but one of the things they were touching on is you got to look at the false sense of security that television brings. Lassie, oh. perfect dog. Oh. Beethoven, the perfect dog. So <laughs> this is what society the is seeing, and they don't understand the fundamentals of things like that. Um, so yes, body language is, is huge. But the second question is, how do we get the adults to be attracted to wanting to listen and, and learn what we have to teach them? I you have to go to them. Yeah, we have to take it to them. Yep. One thing that I was just sitting here thinking about as we've been talking is, okay, so yeah, the parents don't know um, some of the basics of letting, you know, how to have their children interact with the dogs and stuff. But as a whole, what are we teaching children about animals anyway? Because I look at this from a horse perspective. And I, you know, I see in different riding stables and stuff what the kids are being taught. And they're being taught that if a horse doesn't want to pick up his foot, you just yank it out from underneath them or you give them a slap on the belly or, you know, you've got to have uh, your little spurs on or you've got to have your pretty little sparkly bat to hit the horse. You know, so I know that that is not just a thing in, in the horse world. I know that some of the messages that we give kids about what, what is okay behavior around animals is isn't great i mean it's not great so we do have to to reach into a lot of that you know how we're approaching it culturally what our kids are already learning 
Well, that gets back to some of the other, I don't want to name any names, but there are programs out there, especially in more rural areas, which are after school clubs and things that teach children about animals. And some of the stuff they teach is very, very old school um, and involves a lot of punishment and not respecting that an animal has the most basic needs. Mm -hmm. Don, are you familiar with uh, thefamilydog.com? You familiar with them? It sounds familiar, but I, I don't know why. They have one of the best posters I have ever seen in all my years. Stay safe around a dog, you know, and it's so simple. And it's, it's done in not cartoon, but if you take a look and it's like their body, their feelings, their space, their stuff. And it breaks it down really simply, whether it's for children predominantly, but adults, if, if you just look at it and take, you know, the three minutes to read this thing and the different captions, it's amazing how, how well they did this. And I mean, even if, you know, finding a way to get something like this put up in businesses and in schools where, you know, kids are going to be attracted to it because of its cartoon-like features, okay. uh, which would get them to, you know, stop and read it. Monique, you know of them? I do actually, and I I have partnered with them. They have a, a program where you can partner with them, and then uh, as a trainer, you can disseminate their information, and you can uh, give like a deep discount off of their entire family education plan and stuff. And and so it's pretty cool. I haven't gotten to do enough with it, um, but I'm, I've been looking forward to doing more with it. Yeah. And then we also need to need to stress the point with with the parents also that kids are sponges. They're going to look at how you're treating a dog, and that's going to reflect on what what they're doing. So if you're improperly handling a dog, what are they going to do? They're they're sponges. They're they're going to follow your lead. No, that's exactly it. I mean, and one advantage we have of teaching kids is hopefully we can teach a new generation that some of these ancient myths will be done with for good. Um, that's probably going to take some time, but I, I, I keep hoping for that, that someday we'll never have to talk about dominance again. But um, yeah. So what are thoughts on how can we, other than having, what, what attracts adults? What gets them excited about coming to something? other than a wine and cheese party or <laughs> football, depending on the adults. You know, that's why I still think that we, it's more of us going to them somehow. You know, parents between whatever activities their children are involved in after school, especially more um, with the sports and that, with traveling teams, whatever else, with their own jobs. Uh, I don't know how much we can get them to come out. I, I have too many clients that are teachers and they say that even on parent teacher nights, if they see three or four parents uh, out of two or three classes of kids, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah. And there's, there's things, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if you guys have them locally, like I do here in Texas, but you have like the FFAs, the future farmers association uh -huh. with the kids that we could start, you know, maybe looking at getting them involved with that and linking it in with the, with the parents. Um, as a source we, we, if we go where the kids are 
Yeah. Or you're going to find the parents. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those uh, FFA programs are kind of like what Don was talking about, though. They're some of them are dated. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I was thinking of a different organization than yes. that. But yeah. we currently have our FFA here with one of the guide dog organizations that I volunteer for, and uh, in the um, Fort Bend County Sugarland School District, we actually have some FA, FFA students that are raising guide dog puppies. That's good. That's good. But some of those other organizations, like there was one I was involved with here. And when they had one set of adult leaders, they were much more in our ballpark. And then they were they were replaced with someone and they went back to the prong collars and all of the Absolutely, old I agree. stuff yep. again. So that's that's the tough part of it there. I think can I say I think we're all in agreement here that this isn't going to be solved in the public schools. One of the notes I had down here is with everything teachers are have to dealing with these days. Um, I just can't see that this would be fair to them or effective to saying, hey, this is just something else you have to find a way to teach. It's gonna to have to come from people like us and outside entities. I see you all nod in your head. Yeah. What's your sense on we, we, we started talking about whether is, if this really is a public health crisis. And you know, when, when you're the one with a child that's been bitten, it becomes a public health crisis. But due to the lack of involvement and interest in adults in general, do you think they perceive this as a public health crisis? Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not until it affects them. Agreed 100%. Until it affects them individually, I don't think they see it as a, as a problem at all. They, they hear about it on the news. They'll hear about a big attack on the news. And I think their focus will probably be on what breed of dog did it. And then they'll 100%. say, oh, well, I don't have that breed of dog. I would never have that breed of dog. I can't believe anybody has that breed of dog. And they blame it on that, and then their attention is gone. I mean, our our attention span for things like that is so incredibly. And I apologize for the the German Shepherds playing in the background. Um, our attention span for any type of news is so incredibly short. Um, I just can't imagine that you know until it impacts them personally that anything that they see about it news-wise, any, any attacks that become, you know, um, national news or at least really big local news, I don't see that having any impact on anybody. And then the other thing with the news media too is unfortunately, when they are covering dog attacks, 99% of the times it's dogs that are running loose. It's the loose dogs. They never talk about the things that happen in your home. Yep. It's the loose dogs that are running around. Well, no, and as the statistics show, as you pointed out, this is usually a dog that the child knows, either it's the family 61%. dog or a neighbor's dog. Yeah, and that, that is a significant part of it as well. And I mean, let's face it, the media sensationalizes those, those cases. I mean, the only time I get a call from the media about a dog is when 
when when a dog's bitten someone and then they're all calling um you know so that's that's part of the problem as well and again really not fair to the dogs which i know is one of the things that the national canine research council is trying to because you know, you know we, the other thing that came out of all of dog bite stuff is breed specific legislation which we all know is really not not helped and has not been helpful unless any of you disagree sorry i didn't mean to answer for you but you know that seems like it's it's caused as many problems as it's solved so we talked about other professions i, I really love the idea of emergency responders because this is the type of thing that um they seem to be trained to educate. I don't know if it's just me, but the ones I have encountered seem to be really trained to educate, whereas a lot of other ones, not, not necessarily so. Other, other folks in that category, you think that might be people we can work with or maybe sit down and have a conversation with? Firefighters and EMS especially. Um, as a former canine handler, I will tell you that, uh, at least up here, most of the canine training is still done what we refer to as the Philadelphia method. So I don't know how educational that would be coming from, you know. I, I was thinking of uh, VMTs in specific. Yeah, VMTs yeah. and firefighters, those are great guys. Firefighters always holding how to put in a car seat, you know. Uh, like Aaron says, smoke detectors for our national fire prevention week, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and people really do gravitate towards that. Well, there you I was a volunteer firefighter and paramedic for, for quite a while uh, before I did this. And not only is it that, you know, they, they look up to them, but we see it. Right. We've yeah. seen it. We, we've been there firsthand when these things happen. So not only, you know, are are we a source that people look up to, but you're you're getting the story right here of the seriousness, you know, when we have to come down to it and, and talking about it. Aaron, down your way, or in Monique, for, for where you're at, um, do they do free rabies clinics and things like that? They, we have low cost clinics. Like, I know in my town, we have all around us, the towns always have free rabies clinics different times of the year or whatever else. And I was just thinking, that, that's another, and it's funny because most of the time, adults and their children show up with the family dog to this event in order to to get you know the the uh, the shots, and whether it's a, a you know a, a trainer table where you're talking about these things, or you can include a small brochure from something like the the family dog or, or whatever with the other information they're getting about the rabies, that may be another way to to you know go at it. Or even, you know, dog-themed dog events. Yep. Um, you know, when we have, you know, vendor booths, things like that. Yeah. How about um, public libraries? One of my clients is um, a uh, librarian here, and she and I were talking about a lot of different things concerning the library yesterday. And um, I got to tell you, I think it's a, it's a great idea 
but the use of libraries has gone down so yes. much. Yes. <laughs> no, the, I know. Uh, I, I, I thought of that so, as soon as I said it. You know, it's 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 awful to think because I was I was the book nerd that lived in the library up until I, you know, I went to college and even then I loved living in the library. But um, yeah, unfortunately, they just don't seem to have the reach that they used to. Do you have reading dog programs in any of your areas where? Yes, where we go out and read to the, yeah, we do. Yeah, you know, that might be a, a type of connection that could work because we've got the kids there, we've got a dog there. You know, I could see where that might uh, might be useful. It's, um, things have changed so much, especially in the past, since COVID. And, and a lot of our opportunities for social interaction, you know, I know, you know, we should be looking to, well, maybe, maybe we should be asking vets to do more, but, you know, they are so overstaffed. Uh, every vet clinic in our area, I know, is running with less employees than they need. And that outlook doesn't look like it's going to change for a long time. And even pediatricians and doctors. I don't know what I, and I can't speak for pediatricians in our area, but I know doctors are so overtaxed and so many people have left the healthcare fields. That makes it a little bit more of a challenge. One of our, someone asked on Facebook, is there an opportunity for education when dog licenses are obtained? And in, in my area, you, you can do that online now. So there's not much of, and I see some head shaking there, there's not gonna be much of an opportunity for that in most cases. And I don't know what statistics are like on this, but I suspect probably only half of the dogs in our area are licensed anyway. And I was just about to say in our rural areas here, like where I'm at outside of Houston, nobody licenses their dogs. Right. It's not required, and, nobody does it. And you know, given that, I'm kind of in a a uh, more rural area too, outside of Atlanta, and you know we have a huge problem. I mean, I cannot emphasize enough how huge our roaming dog problem is. And um, you know what? Those people that have the roaming dogs don't license their dogs anyway. You know, they're also the ones that don't spay or neuter and, and a lot of that. I hate to generalize that way, but you it's, know, it's true. So it's to so, oh. <laughs> but I think, you know, and I don't want to generalize either, but I think it is somewhat a logical next jump to say those are the types of people who probably aren't going to be open to being educated. Yep. And then, Don, back to your, you know, thinking of ideas and resources, what about your local small pet store supply companies? Pet stores, your, your smaller smaller mom and pop ones on holding education seminars on the weekends there are having them hand out pamphlets with you know when you I mean that's that's a first of all making them aware of it and you know then hopefully getting them to do it we've done uh, for those of you that don't know i have a pet store and a kennel and we have done some seminars like that with lots and lots of publicity and I've ended up with one grandma and one child and one, one mom and a child. Um, you know, I haven't done a lot of them, but part of the reason is, is it's, it's never been as successful as I would like. It's just, it, do, it doesn't seem to resonate in people's minds. Like we were talking about before, that until someone they know has been bitten, 
and bitten seriously that they even want to think about it. Yep. And you know, Don, that was a good what you just said word seriously, because um, a lot of people view dog bites in a very different way than we do. And so some people, you know, if a dog nips, they don't think it's a problem at all. And if it's a bite, but it's, you know, more of a, an abrasion than an actual puncture, ah, you know, it's what happens. I got too many clients who have passed those warnings off. Um, and just, it wasn't a big deal. And it goes both ways. I have had some clients with a puppy doing routine play biting and, you know, sharp tooth touched thin skin and there was a, you know, a pinprick size of blood and they're in a major panic. Right. You know, it's, yeah. yeah trying to, to define a dog bite um, outside of our profession uh, becomes another one of those, those problems. Yeah. And by the so, way, just so you know, for you guys, Aaron and Monique, where I'm at, we got uh, 35,000 in my, my small town here, and at least half the dogs here are not licensed. And in the areas around me, which is some very uh, upwardly mobile areas, uh, hardly anybody in those towns licenses their dogs. Which is, is, is a shame on multiple levels because that's also, I don't know how the fees work for um, in, in the areas where you live, but here in Maine, that's what funds our entire animal welfare department. No matter what species it's covering, the bulk of the funding comes from dog licenses because horses, which have a high abuse rate here, and cats don't have any licensing fees, so it, everything's based on the balance of dog licensing fees. So when people aren't doing that, they're also the animal welfare department and program may be suffering as well. For a lot of people in my area, because the, in order to be licensed, the dog has to have their, you know, yearly or every three years shots in that. And a lot of people would rather just tighter to make sure that there's, you know, immunization going on and of course that's not accepted so that's another reason they don't bother to do it and like okay. you said and then the money that's needed for the programs it, it isn't there yeah so ingrid um from facebook suggests partnering with insurance companies and notes one of uh the local insurance companies they work with loves to do events together i mean that's those are some folks who you know, they bear the brunt of the cost of, of dog bites. You know, they would have a good interest in that. If we could find some that would work very, very closely with us, that might be a thought. And Kathy notes that the Vancouver Public Library and St. John's Ambulacy Therapy Dogs had a free event geared toward children. Poetry reading with dogs, I like that. And it was, they didn't, wasn't necessarily used as an avenue for dog bite education. Um, that's the type of thing I was thinking of. If we've got the, the kids there and um, they're, they're reading to the dog, what a good point to maybe do some 
dog vet education. So maybe working with some of the therapy dog registries might be a place to look at as well. Also possibly things like your local Subaru dealership because Subaru is so heavily, heavily into animals. True. That's a good thought. I love their commercials. <laughs> Those goldens are hilarious. Yes, yes, they are. Yeah, it, it always makes me laugh and then I have to go find it on YouTube so I can watch it again. <laughs> um, you know, you, a car dealership, let's face it, who do you get? You get the adults. Yeah. You know, you could also reach out to Parks and Rec departments, um, YMCAs, if you're in an area that has an active YMCA. I mean, those are some other places that um, have the kids and the adults. Good point. Yeah. How about shelters and rescues? If you've had any success on working with them on something like this? All right, it's one of those ones where you just uh, sometimes you just want to you know bang your head against the wall forty times and and uh, I only I very few rescues that I work with very selective because of you know how they do it and everything works is really good but they get so frustrated I've helped a couple of them design a just a real basic foster to adopt and, and an adoption manual and I mean it's simple as anything. Um, and then we hold, prior to adoptions happening, we'll hold events, whatever. And, and we either get very few people to show up, but even worse, even when you give them the manuals, nothing. And then they'll call up, you know, two weeks later, ah, the dog bit because of... So whether it's written or in person, it just doesn't seem to get across. I've actually got a good, I've got a good repertoire with, with the shelters and rescues I work with here. Um, I actually just held a... Um live training class for the fosters on teaching them reading body language and um you know handling and husbandry and things like that and i actually had like 25 show up from just one shelter and rescue the problems that i i noticed here in texas specifically is they are so bombarded and busting at the seams with dogs it's literally they, they need to start with just being able to get proper assessments done with dogs I find uh, in our area, I didn't mean to interrupt. Did I interrupt you? No, no you're fine. Okay. Um, I find that in our area, the, the shelters and the rescues are um, so hell-bent on adopting out every dog that in a lot of the cases, the dangerous dogs are coming from them. And uh, they think that any of us who, who want to advocate for um adopting out safe animals are you know horrible animal killers we want to we just want to euthanize dogs and and call it a day so i mean yeah that's, I that's what i'm talking about yeah that's what i mean about you know you know improper assessments and things like that um like i said the ones that i'm working with are great um i i go in and i assess i assess almost every single one of their dogs unless you know it's a puppy or you know they have a clear-cut history on that dog um, I go in and work with them training. I work, with, like I said, I work with the fosters on educating, um, good repertoire with sending the actual adopters towards me for, for training and educational purposes. You know, I, and I think that's, 
you know, I think that can happen. I've seen that happen in my own area. And then different management comes in oh, yeah. or the board changes and the board has a different philosophy. And sometimes the board is heavily invested in this philosophy of, you know, if we don't have this, we can save everyone attitude, then funding stops or decreases. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really a conundrum. Interesting comment here from Elizabeth. Um, I see this whole issue, another symptom of, or rather perhaps the tip of the iceberg of the problem with lack of regulation of the pet industry, particular breeders, rescues, and trainers. And I would add boarding kennels, daycares, the whole industry is right. tremendously underregulated in my opinion, which then in turn involve consumer protection issues. This is where a general cooperation with lawmakers, medical professionals, consumer protection organizations, et cetera, um, those are the types of people that um, could maybe have some, we could work with on this issue. But yeah, so I think those are good points, Elizabeth. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a big issue. I'm feeling a little, th this is one of those topics where we're really struggling with where there's no clear solution no clear easy solution i mean i think we've we've gotten some things we can we can start with and by talking about the topic i think we've agreed uh at least all of us here that this is not um not something our school systems are going to solve not on their own it starts at home well it does it does and um you know you've you've commented homes are so busy now um, you know, one of the things I, I'm going to throw this out there, because I think this might be something if more people in our position did something like this, I will do free consultations for families thinking about getting a pet. And I really encourage them to come in before they do it. And we'll sit down and talk about what their family life is like, what kind of pet they're looking for, how much attention they're going to have for it. And I encourage them to bring the kids. And Sometimes what happens is, well, one of the questions I ask is, well, okay, Johnny, what, what do you do with besides basic school? And, you know, I might get chess club, soccer, um, something else. And then I'll ask um, the girls the same and get this whole, I can't, I do not, I cannot believe what kids do in outside school activities at the grade school level compared to what I did, which was, go home and play with my friends. That was about, about it. And one of the questions I asked the kids, because a lot of times mom and dad think, okay, the dog, the kids are going to take on all this responsibility, which is the other myth we see too, that, you know, eight-year-old Johnny and 12-year-old Debbie are going to do all of the work with the dog. And I asked the kids, which of those things are you willing to give up so you have time for this puppy? And the responses really have a big impact because typically the kids say, none of it. I'm not giving up that. And um, we continue on with our discussion. And then one of the parents and the kids leave when one of them stays by, behind and says, I was very, very helpful. Now is not the time to get a pet for our family. And, you know, it's, it's things like that. But, you know, those are hidden or miss, I don't get to see as many people as I'd like. Usually it's after it's become a problem. 
any last words for our listeners about what what's the one thing you think they could do to help with this issue in their own business? If you see if you see a kid, you know, with a dog, or you, you have a kid approaching your dog, take those you know, forty five seconds, one to two minutes to help educate them a little bit. You know, um, I do that all the you know a lot with my dogs. Um, I compliment kids all the time when they go, "Can I pet your dog?" Instead of just running up and petting my dog, or they come up and I say, "Okay, well." hold on a second, you know, if they just come running up, I go, just, you don't want to run up to a dog. You always want to ask, you know, so take that time to help educate, educate that, you know, that child. And typically most of the time when I've done it, you actually see that parent turn and they'll, they'll actually start getting involved and, and, you know, listening, taking in what you've got. So not only are you educating that child, but now you've got the parent's attention. So just take the opportunity with every little bit that you, that you get. Um, and you never know how fast the word's going to spread. Monique, Sam, anything to add? I just wish that I wish that people would remember whether it's a, a human, canine, equine, feline, whatever it might be. Um, respect for that species goes a long way to preventing problems. Yeah. I mean, I think that in a nutshell yeah. could really, really make a huge bit of difference. The one other thing I'm going to throw out here, and this just came to my mind, PPG has a great junior program for kids. And I include materials when I've got a parent and a child in a class, I include materials on that program and suggest they get their child involved in that program. So that's another thing we can do about educating children and getting the word out. But um, any last words before we wrap up today? That was a great topic. I just don't know how to solve it. Yeah. Well, you know, not all problems are easy to solve. And that in itself uh, is an important thing for us to consider. I want to thank you guys for showing up today. And I want to thank our listeners for showing up today as well. Our next advocacy panel will be on October 28th. And the subject for that is the top 10 tips on how to network and spread the word about the mission. Um, and by the mission, I'm, I didn't write this topic, so I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but I'm thinking of spreading the word on our guiding principles, because um, I think that is really, really something to uh, be looking at. I also want to give advance notice to everyone who's here today that uh, the panel will be on hiatus until January, because the fourth Friday in November will be on Black Friday. And uh, the fourth Friday in December will be on Christmas. It's the day before Christmas Eve, but um, the advocacy division was kind of talking about, and we thought those are probably not going to be days where we would get maximum turnout from panelists or 
from, uh, from uh, our, our members either as well. So we're gonna take two months off, but we will be back in um, January and uh, we will have a list of topics for next year, at least for the first couple of months. We should have that up in December. And I do wanna throw out here and Pam, if you can put in the comments really quickly for me, we are having our first ever advocacy division meetup on October 12th. This is an opportunity for PPG members to learn more about the different divisions. Each of the divisions are doing that. And I forgot to put that in my notes, so I don't know the time. And if Pam, if you can't do that, that's okay. If you go to the PPG uh, events page on Facebook, you will see it listed there. And um, most of us, if not all of us from the advocacy division, not necessarily the panel will be there talking about the mission of the panel, introducing you to ourselves and telling you how we can help. And on that note, folks, we will wrap it up. We will see you next month and uh, have a good weekend. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. By now, you've probably heard about the Dog Biz Group coaching program, Thrive. You may even have thought about checking it out, but haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, now is a great time to learn how Dog Biz coaches work with positive reinforcement dog trainers to make their businesses thrive. Thrive members are achieving true life-work balance, attracting clients they love working with and serving those clients with confidence. And Thrive members will tell you they really are better together. So come thrive with us. Enrollment for the Thrive program opens just once a year. Here's how to make sure you don't miss your chance to thrive in 2023. Go to dogbizsuccess.com thrive and get on the Thrive wait list. That way you'll be the first to know when enrollment opens so you can reserve your spot. And you'll get waitlist only sneak peeks inside of Thrive, as well as monthly business tips from the Dog Biz team. It only takes a minute to sign up for the waitlist, so head over to dogbizsuccess.com thrive and let's thrive together.